The Oregon State Beavers are now one win away from becoming bowl eligible for the first time since 2013 after defeating Utah 42-34. Welcome to the Beaver Banter Podcast. I am Aaron Fentress along with Oregon State beat writer Nick Daschle. We are both of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Nick, what a scene there at Reeser. A very entertaining football game. Beavers fell behind, came back. Uh, Utah regained the lead, and the Beavers got a, a couple of huge big plays, including a block punt in there, got them the lead originally in the, in the second half. Uh, just a very exciting football game. Uh, what was the atmosphere like, and how is this team feeling after getting what I think, and we'll talk about this later, is their biggest win of the year so far? Well, if you were a, if you were a fan that was late to the game, you got paid off because you didn't have to watch the worst eight minutes of the season. <laughs> And then, and then all hell broke loose. It was, it was pretty good football the rest of the way, but those first eight minutes, boy, they were, they were so forgettable. And you you thought 14, nothing They're They're not ready for the moment. And then all of a sudden the offense took it down the field, got a touchdown and everything just seemed to settle in. And then the second half came and, and the Beavers looked like a team that, that could go some places uh, this season. Yeah, Utah marched right down 75 yards, scored. Then on their next drive, they scored a touchdown pass to a dude that was absolutely completely uncovered. That was beyond the blown coverage. That was a we don't even know that guy's eligible coverage. <laughs> he was I don't know how they could miss him. He's their he's their number one tight end and one of the better ones <laughs> in the Pac-12. But no, it's yeah, I even asked Jonathan after the game. I said I said I, I I know from the outside that looked bad in the first eight minutes. I said, "What were you thinking?" And he was pretty much he was pretty much with me. You know, what, what were we thinking? You know, it was it was he he couldn't believe it either. He in fact he even said, uh, "You know, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to revisit this tomorrow when we get together and watch the video because this can't happen again." Um, but but no, after that it was it was it was pretty spectacular. Definitely. The funny thing about that wide open guy is he ran a post corner and didn't didn't need to run the double move. He was so uncovered. Anyway, okay, as I said, for me, biggest win of the, win of the year. Now, for optics, the USC win and blowing them out down there and how historical that was uh, is the, maybe, you know, a, a, from a, the program standpoint, a bigger win because of what it means, you know, bigger picture because of You're how— You're listening to Beaver Banter. We'll be back after but a quick for this break. season because USC is just— a dumpster fire to me, obviously winning this game was the biggest win because you're playing a game that a, a game against a team. That's pretty good. I mean, Washington's kind of a mess. You lost to Washington state. Utah's actually a solid football team. They've been a power in the South for a while now. Uh, do you agree that this overall was their biggest victory? Oh, sure. I mean, the way I guess I'd say it is the USC win put Oregon state on the map. And this this win proved they belong on the map. Ooh, um, I like that. You know, <laughs> you know, really. I mean, yeah, the USC game. You know, it, it got people's attention, but it didn't prove the Beavers were you know great or even or, or good. I, I hate these were great, but they they, they were good. Right. But you know, you, you followed up with a good win over Washington, and then you come back and play a team that was as hot as any team in the Pac-12 in in Utah. They taking care of a really good Arizona state team. And they had a quarterback that was really on fire. And it was clear by the end of the game, the, who the better team was. I mean, Oregon state, once they got their, their, their feet under them, you know, Utah just had no answers for that offense. 
Yeah, their, their rushing attack is just sick right now. We'll get to that later. We'll also get to the matchup with Colorado later. But with Cal and – excuse me, they got Cal next. Uh, but with Cal and Colorado coming up um, and just needing one win to become bowl eligible, that pretty much seems like that's a given. That's going to happen. But I like what Jonathan Smith said when you asked him, I think, about it. He said, of course, the players are talking about it. But, you know – there's five games left in league and you're one game away from being a bowl eligible. And he, he sort of made it sound like, Hey, there's bigger things in front of them potentially, you know? So why even worry much about the whole eligibility thing? That's going to happen unless you collapse. There could be bigger things ahead. He didn't say this part, but you know, the North titles in front of them, maybe the PAC 12 titles within reach, maybe. So I, do you feel like this team, I mean, I know they're taking it one week at a time, but do you think like this win made this team a legitimate threat to Oregon or anyone who comes out of the South? Uh, excuse, me, excuse me, back up. <laughs> a legitimate threat to Oregon in the North and then a, a threat to maybe close things out in the Pac-12 title game if they get past the Ducks. Oh, for sure. I mean, at this point, you know, they're taught, they're really only, there's really only, you know, two teams left in, in the Pac-12. Well, three. I, I don't – Washington, even though they have two losses, it's hard to see that team running the table right they're now. Bad. Washington State has got two losses, and they're, they're in good shape, but they've got three tough road games. They've got, they've got Arizona State. They've got uh, uh, Oregon and Washington among their final four Pac-12 games. Well, they're going to have to run the table and hope Oregon and Oregon State both lose. So, I mean, at this point, you're, if you're Oregon State, you know, you're not saying this, but you win three of your next four, you're playing for the Pac-12 North title at Oregon. Uh, I, it, Oregon Oregon State are in a position right now where they can theoretically dump one game here before the, the final game, the rivalry game, the game formerly known as the Civil War. Right. and. And still be able to play for all the all the stakes in the last game. So right, and and the and the schedule sure sets up to where you know if Oregon State plays like they did Saturday, it's hard to envision that team not winning at least three of these next four, if not all four. Yeah, and like you said, if they lose one going into Oregon, Oregon wins out going into the Civil War, whatever you want to call it. Uh, be, even though Oregon State would be a game back if they win. Now you're tied and you got the tiebreaker. So they, they can definitely afford to drop one. I, I'm still going to say, th- you know, they're winning, they're winning close games. The Washington game was close. The Utah game was close. Uh, they lost at Washington State. And I'm saying the same thing about Oregon. Oregon keeps winning close games. The more close games you play, <laughs> the more likely it is you're going to lose at some point. Uh, we'll talk about Cal later. But uh, I still think for both Oregon and Oregon State, there's some there's some drama ahead for them because neither one has been dominant. But let's address this game against Utah. Was it? I, I could be just making this up because Lord knows I haven't been covering the team like you have. But was that the most excitement there's been in that stadium in ever? Not ever, but in in years upon years. Um. I mean, the Washington game was pretty exciting, too. And certainly, even though there were no fans there last year at the Oregon game, shoot, that game was, you know, every bit as 
thrilling as as any of these two this year but uh, but but yeah i mean just the way it unfolded um, you know you, if you're in the stands and you see your team going down 14 nothing and you're wondering why did i make the drive down here and all that and the next thing you know you know not only are you back in the game you look like the better team and so yeah the stadium got pretty pretty noisy i mean the students were they had a lot of students there students are showing up for games this year by the way it's kind of fun to see um but yeah and, that, and that's what i mean is the, the atmosphere the environment and, and yeah it, it was that goes yeah, into that. yeah it, it was it was i mean it was it was like washington i'm not gonna i it, the stadium's still not full and and i don't know if it's ever going to get full during during the pandemic and that's pretty right. much a west coast you know situation but um yeah it was i mean it was as good as the washington atmosphere maybe Maybe a little better just because you knew it meant a little bit more, but but still, yeah, it was it was good. Okay. So you and I have talked a lot the last couple of weeks about the passing game and Chance Nolan struggling after that big game at USC. He came out and had a pretty strong game. It wasn't super prolific, but neither was the USC game. 14 for 20, that's 70%, 208 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, not a lot of volume there, but very efficient. And and several a couple of big plays uh, mixed up in there as well. How did you feel that he bounced back this week, and how important was it that he did so? Even though the running game was was good, they needed him to make some plays in the passing game. Oh, I you know I thought outside of his um you know his penchant for being too loose with the ball. Yeah, his ball security is work. <laughs> it's I mean yeah, and I asked Jonathan about that today, and we can get into that later, but. Um, I thought his I thought his accuracy was back. You know, it was back to the USC to the to the Hawaii Idaho levels that he was he was hitting guys in stride regardless of where they were at on the field. You know, a couple of tight windows. Um, he, he threw some decent balls in there, and you know, I, I know you said there's not a lot of passing. They don't need to pass a lot. I mean, you, you'd be stupid not to run the ball. <laughs> I mean, with this, with the, I mean, he'd just be stupid to run, not not run the ball with this team. So, I mean, I don't expect him to throw more than twenty passes when they're running the ball at the clip they are at this point. But, but when you throw twenty passes, you want to make sure they 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 matter. And for the first time in three games, they made they made them they made the defense pay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me what Jonathan said about the ball security, because clearly, you know, he's it's sort of reminding me of early Mariota, where he had he had a problem with this, too, where if he was in the pocket or he was leaving the pocket and he was in traffic, a lot of times people could get their hands in there and knock that ball loose. What did Jonathan Smith say about uh, chance in that regard? Well, he, he pretty much agreed with what I what, what I had said, which is, you know, of all the quarterbacks you've had at Oregon State, you know Jake Luton, um, you know Tristan Jebbia, the ones that have, that have played. I mean, they have really been great with the ball. They don't. They they rarely have fumbled, especially Luton. He was really secure with it. But but Chance. I mean, we've seen several times where he's just he's he's gotten the ball in one hand. He's dropped it on the ground. You know, trying to make a play. You know, the one the second fumble the other day was just. I mean, you're watching him roll out to the left, and you're just going, "This guy is going to fumble." And sure <laughs> enough, and sure enough, it got poked out, and you know, it was kind of a lucky recovery by Utah, but but it should never have happened. He, but and so I said to Jonathan, 
I said, is this a, is this a case where chance is a little bit different than your other quarterbacks and that they stayed in the pocket? This guy likes to get out to the edges. And he said, you know, I said, is that something you have to live with a little bit? And he said, yeah, a little bit, but, but he's definitely got to tighten some of that stuff up. So they'll, they'll definitely be working on some of those things because I mean, he, he just, he's just getting a little too sloppy with some of that stuff. And, and he, you have to remember, he's still, what are we seven? He's 10 games into his, you know, college career. So, I mean, he's not, I wouldn't call him a veteran yet. So right. he'll learn, he'll learn. I I, yeah. I think he'll learn. So, but Sometime, yeah, that's, that's gotta get, yeah, that's gotta get better. Sometimes when you're, especially when you're young and you're new to this and there's so much stuff going on and you take off running, you know, you're thinking about picking up yards, you think about making a play and you just forget that you have to secure the ball first. And that just, that takes some reps in practice, some attention to doing that and to, to where it becomes second nature for you to tuck the ball and protect it no matter what and value that more so than getting the yards. That's where a lot of people make mistakes. They're thinking about how many yards they can get, not thinking about securing the ball. And if that costs them yards, then it costs you yards, but do not give up the ball like that. That's just, that's just devastating to your team. Anyway, he'll, like you said, he'll, he's still young. He'll well, figure it out. And, and, and particularly the, the three fumbles I can think of the last two home games were, were in the shadow of the goal line. I mean, it just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got especially have to be mindful of, of, of the ball when you're, you know, when you're in that situation. Right. And one for you, Dub ended up in a, in a, a touchdown a couple of play later, I think. You are listening to Beaver Banter, and we'll be right back after a quick break. Okay, so like you said, the running game. Oregon State, I'm a pro-style guy at heart. That's how I was raised. I appreciate the spread and the zone read and all that stuff they do with that. And you can still run some pro-style runs out of the spread. You can do different things with different personnel, different bodies. But Oregon State is mostly pro style, um, and I just love I just love watching their offensive line and tight ends go to work, and the crispness of their crisp crispness of their blocking, the precision of it, uh, the orchestration of it, the timing of it with the backs hitting the holes. When they get that stuff going, <laughs> it is so fun to watch, and they are just routinely week in and week out destroying front sevens and the benefactor of that is bj baylor 153 and a touchdown the team as a whole rushed for 260 once again you know it's like a broken record nick talk about that run game yeah it's i mean it's it's historic at oregon state really i'm gonna start crunching some numbers here but but they're on pace to to break the you know the the school record Non, non, the non pettibone school record. I mean, that's not really, it's not really fair to compare it to, to the pettibone, the non wishbone record. Well, I mean, you know, if that's all you do, then you know, that's all you do, but, that's but they right. didn't pass at all. But, but outside of the, outside of the pettibone era, I mean, they're on pace to be the best ever at Oregon State. And I mean, you got a guy like B.J. Baylor. People were wondering, well, what are we going to do without Jamar Jefferson? You know, he was so he was so ex- explosive and dynamic. Well, B.J. has been every bit as good as Jamar Jefferson. I mean, he's proven he can hit a home run. Ran sixty eight yards on the on the one play the other night. He's run several long ones. 
he's real patient. You know, he doesn't, he just didn't take the handoff and, and, and blast through wherever he thinks he can, he'll wait, he'll wait for a block to get set up. Um, and now they've got, you know, Deshaun Fenwick, I, he, you know, he's been a, he's been a little bit more of a, of a, just right between the tackles, uh, physical guy. And now they got Trey Lowe, who's been kind of waiting for his turn. He comes in Saturday on third down. He's primarily a third down guy. He touched the ball four times and converted four third downs. Yeah, I mean, wow, that's the kind of stuff that you know. <laughs> you're hard to stop when when you can convert third downs at a fifty plus percent clip and run the ball like they do and 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 be able to throw a little bit like they did thir- Saturday night. Uh, it's, you know, I I don't know how much more they can add to this offense other than getting the tight ends involved in the passing game, which. I still am scratching my head over, but uh, I mean, it's kind of mind boggling that they they just have not been able to get the tight ends involved in the passing game. But, but there's not much, there's not really much more you can ask out of this offense, really. I mean, it's, and you know, they throw in the fly sweeps and they had a couple of good ones on Saturday and they seem to find a couple of ways to get their, you know, Tyjon Lindsay or Anthony Gould or one of those guys, or, uh, Trayvon Bradford, get him that get them on a on a run play. So, I mean, they're they're hitting at all all levels right now. So Baylor is second in the conference in rushing attempts at one eighteen, and then he's first in total yards at thirty. First in yards per game one eighteen point six. He's the only back in the in the conference over hundred yards per game. First in yards per rush at seven. First in rushing touchdowns. Uh, he's also first in fumbles. We won't talk about that. Although that's probably actually he's first in the reverse of what you want to be, I guess, in that. Uh, so yeah. So now is Baylor Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year candidate? What do you think? Clearly, he's a candidate. Is he the front runner? Well, he's he's been the player. The, he's been the offensive player of the week two of the last four weeks. Um, I mean, I'd have to think about. It. I mean, usually, you know that that award usually goes to the you know, the best quarterback on one of the, you know, the Top quarterback, one of the best, best two or three teams, but it's not unheard of that a running back could win it. And I mean, if you look at the quarterbacks in this league, who McCaffrey who's, who's won it pretty recently, right? Yeah. But, yeah. But I mean, shoot, that was a while ago. Who's, I mean, who's really blowing you up from a quarterback perspective? In nobody. This nobody. Nobody. So, I mean, I mean, honestly, Drake London should win should win the conference offensive player of the year. Cause he is, I mean, he's Heisman level good, but yeah, he's got a um, thousand yards, 143 per game. Yep. But I mean, and, and he probably will win it even if USC is bad because it's still USC and he's still awesome. And, and, and he's going to be a, you know, a top 10 pick probably in the NFL draft. And, um, but but BJ, uh, certainly uh, you, you, you'd have to think BJ is one of the top, three or four candidates at this stage uh, for the, for the conference offensive player of the year award. Certainly the, he's certainly on the first team, first oh, team yeah. running back. I mean, uh, that's, that's you know, it would have been with okay. CJ. Let's talk about uh, one of the bigger plays of the game by far. Actually, we're going to talk about the pump block and then we're going to talk about the block, pump block that was taken away and why. So the Beavers are down 24, 21 in the third quarter. They get a stop. Forces a punt. Musgrave blocks the punt and 
recovers the ball, returns it for a touchdown to give the Beavers a 28-24 lead. First things first, I, I so I'm look I'm looking at Utah's alignment and the, and the big gap they have in the splits between the center and the two guards. It's just a huge hole there. Oregon State sent two people through each one of those holes. And so you got four people coming free, basically. Well, not basically, just coming free. And then you have three blockers in front of the punter. So it's four on three. And obviously you got to get there and get past the three before the punt gets off. But Musgrave just did a fantastic job of leaping in the air. And they all crashed into those three guys. He leaps in the air, gets the punts. So I don't know what – I mean – I'm not going to say I've scouted Utah. I know why they, they run it that way, but it doesn't make any sense to me to give up the the clearest path and easiest path and straight up the middle to anything in football. So I didn't understand that part. But regardless, Oregon State made a great play. The the momentum shift in, in that, giving them the lead. Now, Utah came back and got the lead back, but still, just talk about that moment and that play for that team. Yeah, I mean, it was it was something that they'd worked on all week. They, they had noticed how how Utah was was blocking on punts and I mean as it turned out they had they there's a picture of 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 where the where Peasley is is punting and there are four guy or he's about ready to punt and there are four guys just bearing down on him and as it turned out Musgrave got him got it got got his finger on it from the side and then Riley Sharp got his hand on the ball he got a he got more of the ball after Musgrave tipped it it was like a almost simultaneously there was two guys there tipping the ball uh, but yeah it I mean it it brought a lot of energy to the stadium obviously when when they returned it and uh, yeah it's just one of those things and 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 apparently after the game um, you know Kyle Whittingham had even said that uh, um, the 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 punt snap and they had a new punt snapper in there this week by the way the punt snap was back there in above average time. So it wasn't like, you know, there was something wrong with the snap. It was, you know, it just, it, the Beavers just figured out how to get back there through, through, through Utah's blocking and, and uh, it worked out pretty well. Absolutely. So then later the Beavers got another blocked punt and returned it to the 11, I believe, but it was called back. Because was it an equi- was it called an equipment rule because two players were wearing number eight in the play and then of course we all know there's duplicate jerseys most teams have them but they can't be on the field together so usually it's an offensive guy and a defensive guy and one of them never plays special teams or they never are on the same special team so clearly someone on uh, the coaching staff screwed that up by putting the that personnel group out there with two players wearing number eight. But uh, what did Smith say about that, and uh, how disappointed was he in the fact that basically the coaching staff jacked that up? Well, he he, he took full ownership of that one. And what happened was was uh, typically on on the on the on the punt block team they have Alton Julian and Jaden Grant on that team. Well, Julian hurt his knee in the first half, and then Grant got ejected for targeting in the third quarter. So. You know, they had, it was kind of a, it was kind of a last minute, you know, throwing this thing together and, and they put in Elijah Jones who wears eight and, and Trayvon Bradford is the, is the punt returner. He's also wearing eight. They just didn't, just didn't see it. And 
you know, it happened, but that's, 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 that's not one that's on the players. That's, that's hundred percent on the coaches. Cause the players can't be going, Oh, Hey, I'm wearing eight. You're wearing eight. I can't be out there. You know, that that's on the coaches. So, um, you know, so, and then that's, you know, I know you don't like the duplicate jerseys, but I mean, there's yeah. just not enough. There's just not enough numbers to go around in a call. There's a hundred possible yeah. numbers. Do they have a hundred kids? Yeah, but well, we went through that. We went through. There's so many. There, they have a, probably twenty duplicate numbers on the roster because there's not and there's not a lot of open numbers up from one through uh, fifty. I think there's only like two open numbers um, from one to fifty, and you know, receivers can't wear this team. Well, more than a hundred. I mean, I think it's 117 or something like that. But jeez, Louise! So you got 85 on scholarship, then you got another 15 for whomever else, and then the 17 they got to be walk-ons who are never going to play. Those guys get the double duplicates, and you know it's those damn single digits. Everyone wants a single-digit number. It's just so yeah. hilarious to me. Every single digit is duplicated through, and there's three tens. <laughs> That's hilarious. Now what? Now, what should be outlawed is the uh, it, it, are the are the linemen that want the single digits. You know, Jordan Whitley, who played for Oregon State last year, is now at Michigan. He's wearing number three. He's three hundred and fifty <laughs> pounds and, and wearing three. I mean, that's just that's a receiver number or a running back number. And you know, Andres Hughes Murray wears number. Um, I think he's wearing two, and he's an outside linebacker. He was wearing 49 last year. He's wearing two. I can't remember what the reason he switched, but, but yeah, that's, that's part of it with those single digit numbers is that now they're allowing some of the defensive guys on the line to wear them, which, you know, that might be a little bit of a stretch, but there's three and four, there's three fourteens. There's, I think there's a duplicate for every number through 22 and then 24, 25, 27, 28. Maybe I'm sensitive to this because having run football teams before every year I have 20 guys who want single digits <laughs> just like it's so annoying and they hate oh they hate anything oh my god you can't give people anything a skill guy over 30 they just will just rebel they'll quit I quit <laughs> I'm exaggerating but anyway it's annoying and they got bit by it so they need to fix that of course they won't I'm just whining we'll move on all right the defense gave up 471 yards to a pretty good Utah team though lots of points uh, that Oregon State was down 24-14 at half. Of course, some of that was on the offense, putting the defense in bad positions. But they stepped up in the second half, no doubt about that, especially in the fourth quarter, holding Utah to three points. Uh, what was your take on the defense's performance, and what did Smith have to say? You know, if you throw out the first eight minutes where they gave up 14 points. That counts. They, I, I know, <laughs> but I'm just saying – you throw that out. They they only gave up twenty the rest of the way, and seven of that was a gift touchdown that Chance Nolan just gave Utah. So from that standpoint, you know they 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 played they played okay. Where they where they turned it around in the second half was, you know, I think we've talked about this a number of times on this podcast about you know the third down defense, which has just been atrocious this year, and shoot every year for the last 10 at Oregon state. Um, but, and it, it was bad in the first half, but they, but they worked on, they got a spy on, on cam rising. They were using Avery Roberts and, and Omar Spates to, to some degree. And they, and they kept him from running wild on third down. There were several times in the first half, they'd have third and seven, third and 10, third and 13. He'd, he'd get to the edge 
nobody's open. He'd run for the first down. Well, that didn't happen the second half. Utah was one of six on third down. So that was a bit, that was a big help. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and the defense is still playing well against the run. They're, they're still, they're still pretty good against the run, but you know, there's still a ways to go in defending the pass, but it got a little better Saturday night. So, uh, and now they're playing and now, and now they're going to get well these next two weeks, I, I think, because the, the next two offenses they see are not going to be of Utah or Washington state cal- cal- caliber. Yeah. Rising finish with 76 yards on 10 carries. Uh, they, I mean, the other back, the running backs did well. I mean, they're, they're top three backs. I'm looking at 120 yards here on about 27 carries. So that's, I mean, that's, that's a reasonable number, but yeah, if your quarterback keeps breaking things down on third down and scrambling for first downs, that's, that can be very frustrating, frustrating because the only reason he's taken off running is because no one's open or, right. he, or he missed a read, but no one's open. You, you fooled him enough to where he can't find a guy, but then he still scrambles against the first down. That's about as annoying as life yeah. can be for, for a defense. So that's still something that's, going to come back and bite them at some point cost them a game if i mean or maybe already has if you look at the numbers overall but yeah they they need to figure that out um i thought that uh avery roberts made a comment about you know sort of figuring things out late and then <clears throat> in the fourth quarter especially needing stops one to help the offense two to keep utah from from you know pulling back ahead after falling down two scores uh did you at least feel like in the fourth quarter, they showed their ultimate potential if they can ever piece it all together. Well, yeah, I mean, it came back to the the third down piece. They they were they were able to stop Utah on third down, and that and I even said in the press box on Saturday early in the third quarter, I said, you know, I think the next team that gets a stop is going to win this game because it was like this thing was headed to the fifties unless somebody unless somebody came up with a stop and Oregon state had a, they had a couple of stops, but they were the first team to have a stop. I don't know that Utah ever, ever uh, turned back Oregon state, you know, in, in this second half. And, and, you know, they didn't turn back much. I mean, the punter, once again, two punts, he, he's nowhere near qual. He's nowhere near being able to qualify for any, uh, you know, statistics because he can't get anywhere near the minimum because they just don't punt because they, they keep moving the, moving the ball down the field, but uh, right. yeah, I thought the defense, yeah, I, I, they were better. They were better this week. I, they're, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be a broken record here, but with Oregon state, if they keep their running game going, like, like it's going, the passing game plays like it did Saturday night, the defense only has to be okay. It doesn't have to be great. Um, right. And it's not going to be great. I mean, it, it's just not, it's gonna. It just needs to be good enough. They need to, you know, show some grit when, when it's required, but they're not going to hold teams to seven or 14 or 20 points. Most of the time they don't need to, because this offense is going to score in the thirties and forties. Most of the time. Wow. Have they scored 40 yet? Four times. Have they been 44 times? Yeah. Oh, snap. SC, Utah. Yeah, Utah, yeah, you're right. They had three you're straight right. games where they scored over forty. So you know they're the number one. Sco- they're the number one scoring offense in the in well, the I, conference. And yeah, I'm yeah. not I'm not counting Hawaii and Idaho. But yeah, you're right. Two in the Pac-12. Oh, well, okay. Then then say that about every <laughs> Two other in the team. Pack still. 
I know, but say that about every other team then, because everybody else oh, has I played do. in Idaho. Has played in Idaho and, no, and Hawaii do. too. And, so. and I do say that. I do. Say yeah. That. So all right. So. So I get getting defensive for your beaver. No, I just say I'm just saying if you're not going to count those, then then you can't. I mean, of course you got to count them because everybody plays that schedule. I'm talking. I'm talking. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You said they're going to score forty every game. No, I said they thirty or forty every game. Right and right, and you said and they have. I'm right. I'm just saying. I don't count Hawaii and Idaho in that equation because they're not playing Ohio. Excuse me, they're playing Hawaii and Idaho the rest of the season. They're playing Pac-12 teams, but they've done it twice against Pac-12 teams. So we're not, but we're not comparing to other teams. But I would say the same thing, and I have said the same thing about Oregon, the damn Stony Brook game, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, yeah. Um, so we'll see if they can drop forty again on someone. They might be able to. Okay, so the rest of uh, let's talk about Cal. So Cal is a team that I think we both would say Oregon. Should, excuse me, Oregon State shouldn't have any trouble with. But the way the Pac-12 has been going and the fact that it's on the road, I fully expect them to have some trouble. <laughs> like, I don't think they're going to go in there and blow them out. Uh, we kind of thought they would take care of business against Washington State. They did not. The Washington game was close. The Utah game was close. Um, so I kind of feel like there's going to be, you know, some struggles at some point, how long it lasts, who knows. But I fully expect the Beavers to win. Uh, I think I'm sure you do as well. What could be uh, the scenario that could trip up Oregon State in this game? Sure, I mean Cal. You know, Cal's not the worst Pac-12 team. That I mean, let's start there. They're not. They're not near the best team either. But they have a. They they have their better players are on defense. So you know, at least at least they've got a shot to do something to slow down Oregon State a little bit. I just think the issue with Cal is going to be they don't have enough, enough offense to to win any sort of a you know quote unquote shootout against Oregon State. I mean, you just have to think Oregon State's going to get probably thirty or more, th- somewhere around thirty. Can Cal score thirty? Boy, I don't know. I mean, they, they've got a you know Chase Garbers is a is a good quarterback. He can he he's another mobile guy. But they don't have a lot of pieces around him, and and they they outside of TCU they have not and against FBS teams they haven't scored over thirty in a game this year. So I mean Washington State held them to six at Berkeley. Um, you know they they got seventeen against Oregon. It just I I just don't see Cal being able unless Cal comes up with some takeaways and holds Oregon State in the twenties. I, I don't I don't see Cal winning the game. But but it, it it I think it's a game they're gonna you know Oregon State's gonna have to they can't they, they can't not show up they they, they got to play well but right. but I, I expect uh, to be honest with you and I wrote this this morning I think the trap game is not Cal it's Colorado as as weird as that sounds wait that's, what <laughs> I I didn't say that no Oregon State's not gonna lose to Colorado I just think it's gonna be a tougher game than people think it's gonna be. Because it's going to be their second straight road game. It's going to be a game everybody thinks they're going to win and win big. The, Colorado's got nothing to lose. I, I could see, I could see that being a fist fight going into the fourth quarter. I, I, I could be wrong. I just think that that's just one that looks like that's just that just it just that that sort of game that you just go, where did that come from? And and 
it just it just looks like it's in the middle of a of a stretch where Oregon State might overlook a team if 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 they ever if that's something they would do. Okay. I'm a little flipped on that. I think Cal's the more dangerous game. In, in oh, the I, there's no, I think Cal's by far the better team, obviously. I just right. think, think Colorado's the I just think I just think it's a situation game. You know, right. second second straight game on the road for a college team, I think, is always difficult. A sec two you know, second of two in a row. Right. Um you know, playing up at altitude, uh, you know, Colorado just looks terrible. Um you know, <sighs> I, you know, I don't think that's going to happen uh, necessarily. I think the leadership on this team is pretty good. Jonathan's mentioned that a bunch of times. Um, but if there is a trap game, I think it's Colorado, not Cal. I'll just say that. I'll, I'll say I'm not saying it's going to happen. I say if there is one, it's Colorado. Okay, fair enough. The, the scenario I think that could trip up Oregon State this week, and I, I'm picking Oregon State, but <clears throat> would be. Based on what I saw from Cal against Oregon, what they did well is they ran the ball well and they converted on third down, um, which is a weakness for the Beavers. So if they can force Chance Allen into some, excuse me, Chance, Chance Nolan into some mistakes and have success on third down and keep the game, keep the ball moving, control the ball, uh, enough, and I, you know, obviously Oregon State's going to run the ball well and do their own ball controlling as well, but then you can have a situation where the score is they can keep the score low and convert enough third downs to be in scoring position, put up some points reasonably in the twenties, get some mistakes from chance. And now you got Oregon state in the twenties and then it's anyone's ball game in the last four or five minutes. I think that's altogether plausible, especially considering what Cal did at Oregon and the fact that Oregon state has won mostly close games and, and then lost at Washington state in a game. We, we thought they were going to be able to handle, but that being said, I still think Oregon State's fly out the better team. They should win this game nine out of ten times. But, man, the Pac-12 is wacky as heck. So they definitely need to bring their A game to make sure they don't uh, become the victim of an upset. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, that the, the other factor in this game, and, and I asked Jonathan about this today, and he looked at me like I had two heads when I asked him. <laughs> but, but, you know, Oregon State's coming off a stretch where they've where they, where they played these teams – that they had long losing streaks to, you know, USC have won since 60, uh, Washington, they've lost nine straight, um, Washington state. They hadn't beaten them in seven Utah. They hadn't beaten them in five, five straight. Now they're mm-hmm. playing a Cal team. They've won the last two times against Cal. I mean, this is a team that they, that they've, uh, you know, had, had a lot of failure against, At, you know, a lot of these guys in the roster, you know, they, they've, they've had success against Cal. So, you know, there there is there's some I guess there's some thought, you know, you're playing all these teams that you kind of got a chip on your shoulder, you want to you know, you want to end some, you know, a, a losing streak. Now you're playing a Cal team that, well, you know, hey, we've we've handled them in the past, you know. Yeah, yeah I'm not saying they're going to look past them, it just it just seems like this is a different situation and 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 maybe you know, I'm reaching here for, for for reasons why Oregon State could could play could could have trouble Saturday, but I'm looking at po- you like you have two heads, Nick. That's possibly one, I guess. <laughs> well, but they they have beaten Cal the last two years, and I mean, you know the mindset of a college of a college athlete. I mean, if, if you've if you if you've had success over a team 
for a while, I mean, you, you, you might tend to overlook them. Absolutely. You're not wrong there. Okay, so last thing we'll talk about. We're both picking Oregon State, obviously. What was your sneak peek pick? Did you, did you do that yet? 34 to 20 Oregon State. Okay. So let's go ahead now since Jonathan Smith sort of brought it up. You know, five games left and there's things out there bigger. With five games to go, let's set the over-under. Let's set the over-under at eight and a half. So they need three to get to eight. Four. Let's make it. Let's make it an eight even. So there's gonna be a push. Would you take the over or under eight wins? Well, I mean, I think they're gonna win the next three, so that gets them to eight. And when I say they're gonna win, I'm not saying it's you know fifty to twenty. I'm just saying they're right. gonna win. They're just gonna win. Right. Um, and then you know if they do win that game, then let's see. We'll 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 see what shape Arizona State's in. Um, you know we'll. That that that's kind of a to me that's a toss up game. I don't know I don't know what the stakes will be for Arizona State. Um, you know, at that point, if they had beaten Stanford, they'll be five and zero at Reeser. Um, should be you know big crowd. I'm gonna say I'm I said I said it was gonna be eight and four or you know at, at the halfway point so. I think I'm going to stick with eight and four. So I'm, I guess I'm not going over or under. I'm, I'm going right on the number. <laughs> so then uh, you would, you would be taken over in theory because that you can't lose on the push. Right. So, so I mean, doing, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. Here's my gut feeling is if they win their last four, their next four, they're going to beat Oregon. That's what I think. If they, if they don't win their next four, you know, if they lose at least one, I don't know what happens in the last game. But I, I, I think I think they run the table if they can if they can win their next four. I think they finish it off with Oregon. Okay, but I think they uh, least, you know, that's going to be tough. I think they win at least three, and then um, it's probably the next three in a row. Or if they get upset, Cal or Stanford, maybe they pull off and upset themselves. Like I said, the Pac-12 is just a, a circus. I, I can't. I, I never try to pretend I have it figured out. Every pick I ever make, I make it with a grain of thought. We do picks every week, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm just putting out numbers. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're at least going to be eight and four. I think that's I think that should be pretty much a given, barring any craziness. And then we'll see if they can um, if they can you know pull off a big upset at Oregon and and win the North. That'll be a fascinating fascinating game to right. say the least. But, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. So anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up the Beaver Banter podcast? No, just um, I guess they announced the Colorado kickoff time at 4 o'clock. So this will be the – this will now be the – is this the fourth straight game week? They've had a 4 or 4.30 kickoff. I kind of like these late afternoon kickoffs. They're not, not too early, not too late. So 4 o'clock, the next two weeks for Oregon State after – Played at four thirty on on uh, last Saturday, and then uh, they played it. Yeah, so they've had a, b- a bunch of those. I like those. I like those kickoff times. Yeah, four thirty Utah, four Cal, then four Colorado. Yeah, with three in yeah. a row right there. All right, yeah. cool. So. All right, well, I'm Aaron Fentress. He is Nick Dashel. Thanks for listening to the Beaver Banter Podcast. We will be back next week 
with a look back at the Cal victory, or I mean the Cal game, and then look ahead at the Colorado victory, or I mean the Colorado game. I'm making my predictions right now. Uh, be sure to click the subscribe button and leave us a review. We'd appreciate that. And we will catch you next week.